Hello, I'm your host, Luke, and I'd like to welcome you to Reptilian Insider News, the introduction to flood mythology from around the world. <laughs> so, I guess we should start with out in the open, like, Luke, why, why are you spreading heresy? So, a little background on myself. I was raised Catholic. I'm technically a baptized Catholic. But, fun fact about that, I renounced my faith. And... <laughs> I love going back and proving everything that I was brainwashed at learning as a kid wrong and like just destroying it and one of the best you know something else I like to explore on this podcast is um I guess you could say I had my crisis of faith when I was a junior in high school sophomore junior in high school you know one thing I've learned about talking to a bunch of people that are uh, still religious is I've read a lot more of the Bible than they have. Like, usually if they have read the Bible, they just stick to the New Testament. But you, you start to notice something reading the Old Testament. The Old Testament God is an angry God. I mean, think of the what, the 12 plagues? I mean, does that sound like something a loving God would do? The death of the firstborn, a plague of locusts, um, frogs raining from the sky, um, a river turned to blood, um, read the book of Joshua, the Conquering of the Land of Cana, that is a messed up book. I'd like to quote or reference a specific story in the Conquering of the Holy Land. Um, when Joshua, you know, the first judge, the judges were a um, kind of military leader slash not king, but tribal chief, but mainly military leader. You know, think of like a general in those days. And he is told by the Old Testament God through the Ark of the Covenant um, to march around the city of Jericho seven days, six days in a row. And on the seventh day, you will walk around the city again, and you will shout to the heavens. And the walls will fall, the walls of Jericho. And what does God tell the Israelites to do to the city? Raise it to the ground, burn everything. Let no one live. 
Does that sound like a loving, caring God to you? I mean, if you look at the New Testament God, it's just purely love and hope and forgiveness, yada, yada, yada. And one other weird thing is, okay, I challenge you. Go to a religious website where it says, I want to see all the times God speaks in the Old Testament, and I want to see all the times God speaks in the New Testament. Um, Every time God speaks in the New Testament, he says, this is my son. He is like a fulfillment of the covenant I've made with you. That's all he says. That That's it. Like, what, what can an all-knowing, all-powerful, you know, omnipresent God not think of more than one sentence to say? Sure seems weird to me. But the heresy that led me out of this dying religion that kind of opened up my eyes, um, the name of the heresy that I ascribed to, it's not a new one, by the way, it's called Marcionism. But we'll get into that in a different podcast. What are we here to talk about today? So we're here to talk about today an intro to the flood mythology from around the world. Um, You know, we've all heard of the Noah flood myth. That's what I'm going to be covering. But there are flood myths on every continent in the world, even in North America, in pre-Columbian times. Let me reiterate that. Before the Europeans came to the Americas and, you know, Christianity was totally unknown to those two continents worth of people, there were flood stories, flood myths, on those continents. So that means that this is a common mythological called a trope. And what I'm also talking about is the floods. It's part of the Epic of Gilgamesh when Gilgamesh is going to find the secret to immortality, and he goes to a man by the name of Utnapishtim that has a eerily similar flood myth to Noah's, and the date that the Bible was written and was oral tradition, um, the Old Testament is the original Hebrew Bible, the sacred scriptures of the Jewish and Christian faith were in at different times between about 1200 and 165 BC, you know, between those two. And the New Testament books were written by Christians in the first century AD. You know, they existed as stories first, an oral tradition, 
and then they were collected and written down. So how old is the Epic of Gilgamesh? The Epic of Gilgamesh started out as a series of Sumerian poems and tells dating back to 2100 BC. So that puts the flood story present in the Epic of Gilgamesh witnessed by Unapishtim, you know, that probably didn't exist, 900 years before the Bible was written. How does that make sense? Because Christianity is a made-up religion. But, you know, we'll get into that in a different time, right? Um, (laughs) uh, The most complete version was written around the 12th century BC by the Babylonians, and that's the one we've that's been handed down to us in modern day times. But let's skip that and let's hear the story of Noah. Then we'll hear the story of Utnapishtim. Then I'll wrap this up um, with the Black Sea Deluge hypothesis. But yeah, it's exciting. So now I'm going to be reading from uh, the King James Version of the Bible concerning Noah's flood. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, For that he is also his flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children into them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So that is the Nephilim. They edited out this but um yeah so basically we have the old testament telling us that angels came down and mated with human women like try wrapping your head around that one (laughs) that's crazy to me and god saw that The wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, The earth also was corrupt before God? Wait. According to this, God created the earth. That doesn't make sense. And the earth was filled with violence. Um, And God said unto Noah, Then of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence, 
through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Um, yeah. It kind of drones on about how to build it. But he goes on to say, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is the earth shall die. But with thee I, will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come onto the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And, you know, all the animals of the earth, right? And, uh... Take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah do all that according to God had commanded him. So, you know, it talks about all the animals coming to go on to the ark. Um, there went in two and two onto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, um, the windows of heaven opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Um, <laughs> and the Lord shut them in and the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bared up the ark and is left up above the earth and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth and the ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and the high hills that were under the whole heaven um that was 40 days and 40 nights. But this says, The waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with them in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters receded. <laughs> um, and the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated, and the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. Hmm. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro, until the waters were dried up from the earth, and he also sent a dove from him to see if the waters were abated off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him in the ark. He stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, 
and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet another seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass um, that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twelfth, twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. Um, <laughs> bring, uh, God spoke to Noah saying, go forth of the ark thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth, upon the earth, which, you know, genetically speaking might be a problem because <laughs> you need more than two of each species to repopulate there, buddy. But hey, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> Every beast went forth out of the ark, and Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took out every clean beast and fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing, as I have done while the earth remaineth, and day and night shall not cease. So I guess that's one other thing I'd like to cover in a different podcast is, the way that the prophets of the Old Testament um, sacrificed to God is surprisingly similar, at least in my mind's eye, to <laughs> like different religions of the day, which to me is fascinating. And I'd also like to cover different um, deities that the Israelites had, you know, worshipped from time to time. And, you know, an actual history of the Israelites from third-party sources, not just the Bible, right? Because... You can't believe everything you read in the Bible. A lot of Christians will even say that the Bible is meant to be metaphorically understood, which it's not true then, right? Um, so now we're going to go to <laughs> the flood of Utnapishtim. This is according to the Tablet 11 of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh spoke to Utnapishtim the far away. I've been looking at you, but your appearance is not strange. You are like me. You yourself are not different. You are like me. My mind was resolved to fight with you, but instead my arms lie useless over you. Tell me, 
How is it that you stand in the assembly of gods and have found life? Unapishtim spoke to Gilgamesh, saying, I will reveal to you, Gilgamesh, a thing that is hidden, a secret of the gods I will tell you. Surupak, a city that you surely know, situated on the banks of the Euphrates. That city was very old, and there were gods inside it. The hearts of the great gods moved from them to inflict the flood. Their father, Anu, uttered the oath. Valiant Enlil was their advisor. Ninurta was their chamberlain. Enugi was their minister of Canals. Ea, the prince, was under oath with them, so he repeated their talk to the reed house. Reed house, reed house, wall, wall, O man of Surapak, son of Ubar Tutu, tear down the house and build a boat, abandon wealth and seek living beings, spurn possessions and keep alive living beings. Make the seed of all living beings go up into the boat. Sound familiar? The boat which you are to build, its dimensions must equal to each other. Its length must correspond to its width. You know, so just kind of like a square shape, right? Um, Roof it over like the Apsu. I understood and spoke to my lord, Ea. My lord, thus is the command which you have uttered. I will heed and will do it. But what shall I answer the city, the populace, and the elders? Ea spoke, commanding me, his servant. You, well then, this is what you must say to them. It appears that Enlil is rejecting me. So I cannot reside in your city, nor set foot on Enlil's earth. I will go down to the Apsu to live with my lord Ea. And upon you, he will rain down abundance, a profusion of fowl, myriad fishes. He will bring to you a harvest of wealth in the morning. He will let loaves of bread shower down, and in the evening, a rain of wheat. Just as dawn began to glow, the people assembled around me, and the carpenter carried his hatchet, the reed worker carried his flattening stone, the child carried his pitch, the wheat brought whatever else was needed, On the fifth day, I had laid out her exterior. Um, Then they just go into, you know, they're building the boat, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Whatever I had loaded on it, whatever silver I had loaded on it, whatever gold I had loaded on it, all the living beings that I had loaded on it. (laughs) I had all my kith and kin go up onto the boat. All the beasts and animals of the field and the craftsmen I had go up. Um, go inside the boat, seal the entry. That stayed time had arrived. Um, I watched the appearance of the weather. The weather was frightful to behold. I went into the boat and sealed the entry for the caulking of the boat. I gave the palace together with its contents. Just as dawn began to glow, There arose from the horizon a black cloud. The storm god Adad rumbled inside of it, and before him went Shulat and Hanus, heralds going over mountain and land. Aragal pulled out the mooring poles forth 
went Ninurta and made the uh, dams overflow. The gods lifted up the torches, setting the land ablaze with their flare. Um, yada, yada, yada. Even the gods were... Or wait, no one could see his fellow. They could not recognize each other in the torrent. Even the gods were frightened by the flood and retreated, ascending to the heaven of Anu. The gods were cowering like dogs, crouching by the outer wall. Ishtar shrieked like the woman in childbirth. The sweet-voiced mistress of the gods wailed, The olden days have alas turned to clay, because I said evil things in the assembly of the gods. How could I say evil things in them? Ordering a catastrophe to destroy my people. No sooner have I given birth to my dear people that they will fill the sea like so many fish. The gods, those of the Anunnaki, were weeping with her. The gods humbly sat weeping, sobbing with grief, their lips burning, parched with thirst. Six days and seven nights. In Noah's flood, it was 40 days and 40 nights. Came the wind and flood, the storm flattening the land. When the seventh day arrived, the storm was pounding. She who had been struggling with itself like a woman writhing in labor, the sea calmed, the whirlwind fell still, the flood stopped. I looked around all day long. Quiet had set in and all the human beings had turned to clay. The terrain was as flat as a roof. I open a vent. <laughs> That's hilarious because no open event. And daylight fell upon my cheek. I fell to my knees and sat weeping, tears streaming down my cheeks. I looked around for coastlines in the expanse of the sea. And at 12 leagues, there emerged a region of land. On Mount Nimbus, the boat lodged firm. Mount Nimbus held the boat, allowing no sway. One day and a second Mount Nimbus hold the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When a seventh day arrived, I sent forth the dove and released it. And the dove went off, but came back to me. No perch was visible, so it circled back to me. I mean, there's a dove in the Noah's flood, right? I sent forth the swallow and released it. The swallow went off, but came back to me. No perch was visible, so it circled back to me. I sent forth the raven and released it. The raven went off and saw the water slither back. It eats, it scratches, it bobs, but it does not circle back to me. I sacrificed. I offered a libation to the four corners of the world. I burned incense in front of the rising mountain. Seven and seven colt vessels I put in place, and into the bowls I poured the oil of reed, cedar, and myrtle. The god smelled the savor. The god smelled the sweet savor and collected like flies over a sacrifice. Just then the mistress of the gods arrived. She lifted up the large fly-shaped beads which Anu had made for their engagement. You gods, as surely as I shall not forget this lapis lazuli around my neck, may I be mindful of these days and never forget them. The gods may come to the incense offering, but Enlil may not come to the incense offering. Because without considering he brought about the flood, and consign my people to annihilation. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, 
Enlil went up inside the boat and grasping my hand made me go up. He had my wife go up and kneel by my side. He touched our forehead and standing between us, he blessed us. Previously, Unapishtim was a human being, but now him and his wife become like us, the gods. Let Utnapishtim reside far away at the mouth of the rivers. They took us far away and settled us at the mouth of the rivers. Now then, who will convene the gods on your behalf that you may find the life you are seeking? Wait, you must not lie down for six days and seven nights. Soon as Gilgamesh sat down between his legs, sleep like a flog blew upon him. Utnapishtim said to his wife, Look there. The man, the youth who wanted eternal life, sleep like a fog blew over him. So, like, to me, it's just amazing, like, how obviously similar these two stories are that I just recounted to you. And it's my goal to tell every flood myth from around the world. What a daunting task, but I found a guy that actually aggregated them, and um, I have to find the website, of course, but we're going to do this in chunks, right? I mean, that would take like 10 hours, and I don't have that kind of time, but um, <laughs> uh, that's what I intend to do. I've already had artwork um, done by my artist of uh, Eric Stitt. Um, so look forward to that being the, um, <laughs> episode, uh, artwork, I guess you want to say. Um, but anyways, let's get back to this. So the problem with there being flood myths on pre-Columbian contact North and South America is they have found cave paintings in Mexico, Peru area dating back 33,000 years. So, you know, if there's a universal flood myth and like a human memory of a flood that spread out all over the world, it would mean that this was when humanity was very tightly packed together and <laughs> they figured, oh, um, the I guess we're the chosen ones because, um, the gods let us live, and all the people that died in this flood didn't. Um, did humans go through a genetic bottleneck? So, if you guys are scientists, you'll have heard of a genetic bottleneck where there's like some kind of catastrophic event and like very few of a species um, survive. 
So the genetic diversity really decreases and that's called a genetic bottleneck. And they're, according to geneticists, they have found evidence for past bottlenecks in pandas, uh, monkeys, and humans. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of scary. So, um, the human race once came dangerously close to dying out. Here's how it changes us. Um, Genetic bottlenecks can also cause what is known as the founder effect, where small isolated populations drastically diverge from the po original population. As humans spread across the planet, scientists believe that our population experienced multiple bottlenecks, and as a result, the serial founder effect kicked in to create the diversity we currently see in the human race today. Scientists have mapped these events to geographic choke points around the world based on decreasing giant genetic diversity as we migrate. Um, one bottleneck occurred when a small group of humans left Africa, which we're gonna um, get into. That's the Black Sea Deluge hypothesis. Another happened when this group split up in the Middle East, with some of us heading to Europe and others to Asia. Others occurred when we left Southeast Asia for Austronesia, across the Beringia land bridge into Alaska, spread into South America through what is now Panama. That's why African populations tend to have far more genetic diversity in their DNA than populations native to the Americas. It's also why when you compare humans to other species, human DNA is not very diverse when you consider our globe-spanning range. And one of those genetic bottlenecks happened before um, we spread across the globe, you know, the out from Africa hypothesis. And one theory of that is the Black Sea Deluge hypothesis. The Black Sea Deluge is the best known of three hypothetical flood scenarios proposed for the late quaternary history of the Black Sea. Um, the quaternary period uh, spans from 2.588 to uh, the present. It is one of these two, it is one of these flood scenarios which propose a rapid, even catastrophic r rise in sea level of the Black Sea during the late quaternary um, period. So this was put forward by William Ryan, Walter Pittman, and their colleagues in 1997 when they first published it. And they proposed that a catastrophic inflow of Mediterranean seawater into the Black Sea freshwater lake um, occurred um, 7,500 years ago. 
and the rising Mediterranean finally spilled over rocky sill at the Bosporus. The event fl flooded 100,000 kilometers squared or 39,000 square miles of land and significantly expanded the Black Sea shoreline to the north of, and west, which would have, you know, that would have um, greatly affected the surrounding area, right? And scientists have found uh, stone tools and dwellings around the Black Sea um, you know, that are obviously now underwater. And as proposed the early Holocene Black Sea flood scenario describes events that would have profoundly affected prehistoric settlement in Eastern Europe and adjacent parts of Asia, and possibly was the basis of oral history concerning Noah's flood. Some archaeologists support this theory as an explanation for the lack of Neolithic sites in northern Turkey and 2003, Ryan and co-authors revised the dating of the early Holocene Noah's Flood to 8,400 years ago, or 8,800 years ago. Um, so yeah, that's just an this is just an intro to flood mythology, flood stories, whatever you want to call them. This has been your host, Luke. I hope you enjoy uh, this quest we're taking um, through flood lore and uh, mythology and I hope you guys find it as fascinating as I do um, this has been your host Luke uh, thank you for listening to episode 4 of Reptilian Insider News uh, the podcast that I finally got to start and I hope you guys have a good night Thanks for watching.